Amen. Thank you, my team, for bringing out my devices and tables and all of that stuff. Well, today we start a brand new series called After the Rose, Don't Forget the Vows. And um, how many of you are, um, well, I'm, I'm not going to make you raise your hand today, but I wonder today, how many of you have watched The Bachelor or The Bachelorette? <laughs> There's a few of you. <laughs> I, I, I personally think they're dumb. <laughs> But my kids all watch it. My, uh, you know, the, the, my, uh, my, I have a, I have adult children, and um, I don't know. There's something about that age that really enjoys that reality TV show that has been on for years and years and years now, and they keep, uh, they keep, you know, bringing it out over and over again. So if you've never watched it, don't. <laughs> but um, here's what's interesting about the show, though. Um, it's all about. It's all about the wrong things. Can I say that again? It's all about the wrong things. And, um, and that is the cultural message of today. You know, today we are so focused on the wedding that we forget a wedding is the beginning, not the end. That a wedding is, is not, the, it's not the destination. And a lot of time and effort of young couples today are placed upon, um, this, upon the, really the party after the ceremony. I've done so many weddings over the years where, you know, I meet with the couples and they spend so much time and money on, um, on, on the fanfare of, uh, of, the, of the party that happens after the ceremony that they never take time to think about the ceremony itself or the meaning behind the words. And, um, and so today, um, I want to launch a month-long series on marriage. And because I really believe with all my heart that marriage was God's idea. Marriage is the foundation of society, the foundation of life. And uh, without it, we, our, life, our world would be a mess. Today, the divorce rate is, is about steady. It's been the same way for about 20 or 30 years and um, unfortunately, um, you know, those of us who are faith in Jesus Christ have just as little success in marriage as people who have no faith, which is really kind of interesting to me. And so today, um, my hope and prayer is that here at Olive Knowles, you will find a church that supports, encourages, and blesses um, those of you who are married. Now, if you're not married here today, this series is for you as well. Because my, if you're young and you're, you're, you're not yet married and you're still single and you're going through, my prayer is that you will get an idea of what marriage is all about and that if the Lord would lead you down that road someday, you would know the right way to do it and the right way to get married and the right way to stay married. Um, I give a promise to every couple that I marry. I say, my mission is not to marry you. My mission is to keep you married. And, um, and that's my hope and prayer um, for you today. Um, I've been married now for 34 years. We're working on 35 here soon. And uh, September will be our 35th wedding anniversary. And Jane and I um, have had um, the most perfect marriage in life ever. 
She's laughing on the front row. <laughs> she married the most per perfect Prince Charming, you know, and I was just, uh, you know, her knight in shining armor that came along and swept her off her feet, and she has just been blessed every day of our lives. She's still laughing on the front row. <laughs> um, I, have, I, have, I have been preaching and teaching about marriage for over 30 years. I looked at my file, and one of the largest files in my, in my file cabinet outside of Christmas sermons and Easter sermons are marriage sermons. And um, so I've, I've preached a lot on this subject. I could do it in my sleep, okay? I've done a lot of wedding ceremonies. I, I could actually almost recite the wedding ceremony without even looking at my notes. I've done it so many times, okay? I have done wedding seminars. I have done premarital counseling. And could I tell you, even after doing all of that, I'm still a work in progress when it comes to being a husband. I am not an expert, I don't have all the answers. I fail most of the time, you know. But my hope and prayer is that I will keep working on it till the day I die, amen. To be the very best man that God's called me to be, the very best husband, the very best father, the very best man of God I can be for the glory of God. And my hope and prayer is that would be your prayer as well. If, um, if you find yourself in a, in a second marriage or you find yourself as a widow or you've been through a divorce, I want you to know the end is not for you. You're not second class, okay? And um, there's some things that you can learn from this series as well. There's some things that you can help others with in your, in your relationships. And you never know. There might be a Prince Charming or, or, or another, another, you know, fairy tale that happens in your life and you find yourself getting married all over. Over again, all right? So it is possible. The oldest people I married were 89 and 90 years old. And the 89-year-old had never been married. It was her very first. And um, so it's never too late. <laughs> you might, she, she, I mean, I remember her telling me all the time, I'm never going to get married, I'm never going to get married. And little did you know, she got married, and it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, here's Jane and I, 35 years ago, 34 years ago. We were, we were taking communion at our service. I had hair back then. Look at that. And um, this is my little brother, Sean, you know. And uh, this is my, my, um, my, my good friend, Todd, and um, Bart, and my whole wedding party. It was a, it was a beautiful thing. We had a, we had a church wedding and uh, we gathered together and we we got uh, had all our family and friends there we had just I had just graduated from Eastern Nazarene College um, with a degree in ministry and we were starting out we got married and we went directly into full-time ministry we were a youth pastor and we moved to uh, Burlington Vermont where we served there um, in our first assignment and um, but Jane and I started out there. And I'll show you a few other pictures here. But the scripture, but here's another picture. Doesn't that look great? This is us cutting our cake. This is us leaving after the ceremony. And see, most of the people, this is, this is where the real party starts, you know. For us, we, were, we, we didn't have any dancing. We didn't have any alcohol. We were a, we were a 
we were Nazarene, Nazarene kids getting married. Amen. We were in the church fellowship hall, and um, we we had a we had a very nice wedding. It was beautiful. It was fun. It was it was joyful. You can have a nice wedding without all the things the world wants to give to you. Amen. So if you're not married. Um, you know, stick to your own values. Stick to your own. Invite your family and friends there and don't think you've got to entertain them. But we had a great time and uh, you can see her joy. She had incredible amounts of joy. Look at that smile on your face, honey. Look at the smile on my face. We were all excited. Amen. By the way, if you'd like to, I've got the entire wedding album here. After the service, if you'd like to see, I will, I will let you flip through it, okay? These are just a few pictures from it. Here's what the Bible says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. You see, Genesis tells us that God, it was God's idea. It was God's plan. For, for a man and a woman to leave their biological families and start a brand new family, a brand new start. They would leave the single life and they would enter into a covenantal relationship between a husband and a wife. And they would become one flesh. And ultimately what marriage is all about is unity. Unity of heart, unity of soul, unity of mind, unity of focus, unity of direction. The scripture talks about being unequally yoked. And maybe some of you find yourself in an unequally yoked um, marriage situation where you have one set of values and no, somebody else has another set of values. You have one desires and the other person has another set of a. You had one faith and they have either a different faith or no faith. But God ultimately wanted you to be united together in the holy bond of marriage. And unity is really what all of us are longing for. And when you get married, you have this incredible amounts of like connection that happens. Your flesh in a wonderful way are united together. Your spirits are united. Your purpose and all of a sudden, you have, you have this oneness. And then for the rest of your life, you're doing everything you can to hang on to that oneness. Because the world will tear you apart. The fact that you're man and, and male and female. The fact that you came from two different families. You have two different personalities. You've got two different likes and dislikes. And all of those things that, that kind of pull you apart. In the middle of all of that, you pray, Lord, bring us together. Bring us together. Bring us together. Because unity is ultimately the goal of marriage. And when you, when you find those moments where you're like, yes, there it is. There it's gone. And then you work and you pray. And so this entire series is all about helping you to focus on bringing your marriage together. Helping you to focus on what God's word says to us about this idea of becoming one flesh. Now in the wedding ceremony, I asked my wife, I said, Janie, um, when you think back to our wedding ceremony, what's the most important part of the wedding ceremony? And she said, she answered the question right. I was looking for the right answer. I didn't lead her, but she, here's what she said. It was the wedding vows. And here is a picture of Jane and I sharing our wedding vows with each other. We, were, we, were, we actually wrote our own wedding vows. 
and memorize them. Well, she memorized them. I sort of memorized them. And as I was sharing my memory, my vows, she was helping me along because I was all nervous and stuff. So, um, but we shared our wedding vows. And in this series, I'm going to share with you your, my wedding vows. My prayer is that you've been married. Go back and revisit your wedding vows. Because those were statements that you made to your spouse in the presence of Almighty God with your family and friends there and you did it willfully, you did it without anybody putting a gun to your head, you decided to do it. Most of us were not in arranged marriages. Anybody in the room had an arranged marriage? That's not our culture. When I was in pastoring in, in, um, in, in Maryland, I had a lot of couples from India that had arranged marriages. And literally, they met their spouse the day they got married. Can you imagine? You know? And, um, and that's, that's and I, I prayed for those couples because some of them really, really struggled. But all of you who are married here in the United States, in our culture, are ones that we choose to do it. Well, here's what God's word says about vows. The most important part of a wedding ceremony is the vow. And here's what the scripture says. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to keep it. Can I get an amen to that? For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do. Because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. Now the scripture talks about all different kinds of vows. One of the vows that, um, that is very popular in the scripture is called the Nazarite vow. It's a vow that you would not partake of any alcohol and you would not cut your hair. You would be dedicated. John the Baptist was a Nazarite. You know, there were, Samson was a Naz, Nazarite, and his strength was in his hair, you know, and his, and his faith and his commitment to the Lord. Now, none of you are taking a Nazarite vow, but you stood before your family and friends. I stood before my family and friends, and I gave a vow to my wife, and she gave a vow to me in the, in the presence of Almighty God. So we gave it to God himself that we would do that. And I'll be honest with you, there have probably been times in both of our lives over the last 35 years, we've had to go back and say, you know, divorce is not an option. It's just not an option. So let's stick with it, get through it, let's do it. Why? Because we stood before God and we decided and we vowed to each other that till death do us part. And we've stuck with it. And God's helped us. Um, one definition, this word designates, the word vow designates the act of a verbally consecrating or promising something to God. Vowing to vote to, vote to something to God or to perform some activity before God. Now, Jesus warned us in the Sermon on the Mount not to make too many vows, okay? Vows were not something that we should just flippantly give out, you know? I, I vow. A vow is like a promise. It's like you are promising something. 
And when you promise something, you want to follow through. So you, the scripture says, let your yes be yes and your no's be no's. Most of the time, that's how you should operate. You should only be making vows for really serious things that really are life-altering. And when you stand in a wedding ceremony or you make a vow to a, a person that you're going to be dedicated to them for the rest of their lives, that is a very serious matter that you should take on. And so for the next four weeks, including today, I want to talk about four vows that you really did make when you got married. Four vows that will help you to solidify your marriage today. No matter if you've been married for one day, one year, 50 years, 60 years, whatever it might be. If you're married here today, my prayer is that you would strengthen your marriage. And that your marriage would become stronger and stronger. And so, I want to talk to you today about the vow of priority. The vow of priority. Priorities are things you put in the right order. When you, make a, when you make prioritize something, you are putting it at the top of the list. I have, I have a to-do list that I do every week. I sit down on Monday or Tuesday and I write down all the things I got to get done this week. And usually those lists then become prioritized. I list them all out and then I put them in the right order of what I need to do when I need to get it done. Some things in those lists never get done because I never get to it. Hopefully, I've gotten to the important things. Well, there should be priorities in your relationships, priorities in your time, priorities. And when you are married, you have already decided in your mind and made a vow to God that your marriage or the person you are married to is a very high priority. Amen? And if it's not, then everything else crumbles in your marriage. If it's, you don't keep the priorities correct. And so the vow of priorities, I want to give you four of them today to help you. First of all, God would be your number one priority and your spouse would be your number two priority. Can I get an amen to that? Amen? Let me just say this. You married a person who is not capable of meeting all your needs. Only God is able to meet all your needs. And God is a jealous God. He wants you to love him even more than you love the people on this planet, such as your spouse and your children, your parents, and so forth. He wants your dedication to be number one to him. And we know this because the scripture is clear about it. I mean, the greatest commandment says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And notice what it says about this commandment. This is the first and greatest commandment. Amen. This is the first. If you will love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you will keep your love relationship with God right and up to date and pure and walking with the Lord, it will help you to love your spouse. It will make everything else make sense. Sin will drive you away from God and it will destroy your marriage. 
God has provided through Jesus Christ a way for us to be in right relationship with him. The Bible also so, and you know this other scripture and over in Matthew, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And we focus on a lot of different things in life. A lot of different money and, and, and to-do projects and careers and raising kids and all these other things. But God says, first and foremost, above everything else, the highest priority in your life should be me, God says. That's number one. Number two is your spouse. Your spouse has to be the second priority. Now, Jimmy Evans, in a book called The Four Laws of Love, which is a great book, highly recommended, he says in that book, he talks about legitimate jealousy is the righteous emotion that causes us to protect what is rightfully ours. Legitimate jealousy. Jealousy can either be good or bad. Okay, most of the time we think of it in a, in a negative context, but jealousy can be either good or bad. Um, jealousy can either be healthy, legitimate, or unhealthy. Healthy jealousy is a means to guard your territory, your relationships, and it comes from a sincere caring and commitment to the relationship. On the other hand, unhealthy jealousy manifests itself in lies, threats, self-pity, feelings of inadequacy, inferiority, or insecurity. All of us have to keep our relationship with our spouses as a high priority that we protect. We protect from the threat of somebody else becoming um, important, more important in that relationship than, than the person that you're married to. We have to protect it from, 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 the, from the time monster that constantly gobbles up all of our time so we have no time for each other. We have to protect it from, from other priorities in our life that constantly will drive you apart instead of bringing you together. And that happens so many times in all of our lives. We have to protect it. We have to have legitimate jealousy. I don't know how many times over the years, um, you know, Jane has probably said to me, when, when are we going to go out on a date? When are we going to be able to go and do something together? And that happens all the time. Sometimes it's just, just what life brings us. But if you don't have legitimate jealousy when it comes to your relationship with each other and you don't guard it, protect it, you will find that you will have no time for each other, no attention to each other, and you'll be going in two different directions and soon you'll find yourself being roommates in your house instead of lovers in your house. You have to protect each other and guard that kind of relationship legitimate jealousy. Now, let me just say a word on the other side about illegitimate or, or unhealthy jealousy. This is a jealousy that is, stems from comparing yourself to others, feeling inadequate, unimportant, inferior, pitiful. And some spouses have experienced a lot of loss in life and whether they've been divorced or death or abandonment of a child, they may bring unresolved issues into the relationship in the form of jealousy. 
And this kind of jealousy usually is about control. They are trying to control the person they're married to in such a way that there's no freedom for love to exist and happen. They're jealous about everything. I had a, I had a, I had a, a couple in my last church that the, the wife was an extremely talented, gifted, wonderful lady who loved God with all of her heart, but she, she could never use her gifts and talents in church because her husband was jealous and didn't feel like he was adequate enough to serve, and so therefore she did, he didn't allow her to serve in the church. That was unhealthy. That was, that was, that was actually bring, zapping the life, and she began to build up resentments towards him because he was trying to control her. God wants you to have the freedom to love each other and give freedom to, to your individual gifts and talents, but also protecting the sacredness of this very important relationship that you made a vow to called marriage that God wants. Legitimate jealousy. That's what I talk about when I, when I talk about um, making your relationship a priority. It should be above all others. Um, two dangers. For the husband, the temptation is to replace priorities of marriage with his job, his career, or interest outside the home. I remember when I was, when I was young married. So we got married in September. We had this wonderful honeymoon at Disney World in Florida. We had this wonderful time together. Then we, we flew back to Boston, Massachusetts. We packed up our cars and we drove to Burlington, Vermont. We moved into this little parsonage there that was on the property of the church. And I started my ministry as a youth pastor. And I remember in those first early days, I remember Jane saying to me, I feel like I got married and then you left me for the youth group. I feel like you got, I, we got married and you, you're more interested. And I was excited about church and ministry and, and, and building. And, and it was like I got my wife and now she's mine and now I'm moving on to something else. And that happens so often in marriages for us guys. Because we find our meaning in what we do. We find purpose in accomplishing. And, and sometimes we forget about the priority of our relationship. And so interest outside the home. My son is, at an, as you probably have heard, is an avid golfer. I mean, he loves to golf. I mean, he golfs like three or four times a week if he could. Now, if you know anything about golf, it takes how much? Time. A lot of time, okay? Now, the world is going to change for Patrick soon because in March, there's a little baby on the way. And all of a sudden, there's going to be a change in priorities, a reordering of time, and they're going to realize that they have to keep the marriage in the first priority position, not the child in the first priority position. And golf cannot be the top of the order. Golf has got to be down under the wife, the baby, the job, and then golf. And all of us have our likes. It could be the boat. It could be the golf. It could be your sports. It could be video games. My other spouse, Kristen, is married to a, to a guy who loves to play video games. 
Now, I don't meddle in my, my kids' marriages, by the way. Don't do that, okay? Let them deal with their own stuff. But sometimes I observe. <laughs> and I keep my mouth shut. And sometimes Jane and I will talk about it. But ultimately, we don't meddle in it. Amen? When they leave home and get married, let them leave. So, interests outside the home. Now, for a wife, the greatest danger to her marriage relationship becomes her children or interest inside the home. Now, I'm not a wife, okay? I'm not an expert in this one. I'm a real expert in this one, I know, okay? I'm not an expert in this one. But I know that women find their, their insatisfaction in relationships and connection and, and spending time together and talking and communicating and, and, and doing things around the house together and, and raising the kids up. I mean, I look at my, my, da- my daughter-in-law, Alyssa, and she has spent so much time getting the nursery ready and getting, the, getting, the, you know, getting all the things ready. And she's got pictures of, of her journey of being pregnant and and. It's, it's, it's a big deal. And my son is just like, oh, yeah. I hope you guys aren't watching, by the way. <laughs> but the tendency of women is that soon the children become the first place over the, wife, over the husband. Soon the children become the most dominant time grabber and focus and emotional energy in the relationship and the marriage takes the back seat. The kids don't come first, okay? If you've got kids today, repeat after me. The kids don't come first. Come on, repeat after me. The kids don't come first. The marriage comes first. You might have kids for 18 years or maybe up to 30 years as a max. You've got multiple children, but you've got a lifetime with each other. And God wants your marriage to flourish all the days of your life. So three areas to prioritize I want to give you. Three areas. Number one, prioritize your communication. Your communication. You've got to talk. Guys, I know. Your wife has 10 times more words than you have. Okay? And I know that, that you have a tendency to want to speak just facts and never communicate feelings or emotion or, or give your spouse a window to what's happening in your soul. I know what it's like to be male. Just talk to Jane. She's married to one. Okay? And I know that, that sometimes I come home from work and I've spent time with people all day long and the last thing I want to do when I get home is talk. But the thing she needs more than anything from me is for me to talk and listen. Communication. And communication can either be positive or negative, just like legitimate jealousy or unhealthy healthy jealousy or unhealthy jealousy communication. The Bible says the tongue has the power of what? Of life and death. And our words can destroy our spouses or our words can build our spouse up. Our words can, be, can, can bring life to our relationships or they can bring death. 
And you and I, all of us, need to look at the words that come out of our mouths and ask ourselves, is the words that I'm saying bringing life into my spouse or is the words that I'm saying destroying my spouse? And you wonder why you don't have any romance anymore and no sexual connection anymore and no desire and no fire in your belly. That's because you have not allowed words to bring life into a relationship. When you were dating, you had wonderful words. And all of a sudden you get married and all of a sudden you're critical of each other. You're negative. You're, you're condemning. And you bring, you bring death instead of life. God wants us to prioritize our words to bring life into relationships in a powerful way. Men must understand that open and honest communication is one of a woman's deepest, deepest needs. They would rather sit and talk than have sex. Can I get an amen from there? somebody on that? They would. They would just rather talk and communicate and just connect together, soul to soul, mind to mind, you know. They would, that's their deepest needs. That's the way God put them together. And they long for, for that type of intimacy. And it starts by conversations in the morning, conversations at night, conversations in between, having lunch together. And I'll be honest with you, our technologies are not helping us. Our phones are not helping us. Our, our computers are not helping us. Too many times we go out to dinner and we're both sitting there on the phone instead of talking to each other. And I'm as guilty as anybody on that one. But communication is really, really important. The four T's of communication are tone. Don't, don't over, oh, don't, tone is really important. You can say something the right way or you can say something the wrong way. Tone really matters. Body language matters. The way you, the way you, your attitude comes through in your words Time, do you give adequate time for adequate conversation to happen? Trust, is there a trust relationship that what you say is in the best interest of the person that you're in love with? And truth, this would probably be the only place in a marriage where I would say that sometimes you need to have your truth. And your truth needs to be shared with your spouse and their truth needs to be shared with you. In other words, be honest with each other. Be honest with each other about where you're at. Don't be afraid of conflict. Conflict's not a bad thing as long as you fight the right way. Amen? You're going to have conflict. You're going to see things differently. But if you can have a relationship in which you can disagree agreeably and you don't use words of death such as, I hate you, you're nothing but a blankety blank blank, I'm, I'm done with this, I'm over this, or you threaten somebody or abuse somebody with your words, those are words of death that are off limit in a marriage. Should be off limits in any relationship, Amen. And so make sure that the relationship is one with tone, time, trust, and truth that are founded in that.
okay? So this is a priority. You've got to prioritize talking. Too much silence in too many homes, around too many tables, where two people who used to love to be together no longer talk. And you just got to make it a priority and say, Lord, help me here and work at it. Number two, relationships. For our marriage to succeed, we must respect the vow of priority. This means we cannot allow any person to take our spouse's place in our lives as a primary source of getting our needs met. This means, obviously, affairs are off limits. That's the most extreme. Where a man begins to have an affair with another woman who is not his spouse, or a woman has an affair with another man who's not his spouse because their needs are not being met in their marriage relationship, they go and find their needs being met somewhere else. This breaks the vow of priority and the vow that you made before God. But it is also some subtle ways this happens. It could be that you spend more time with your, with your mom or your dad than you do with your spouse. And you're more concerned about what they think than what, you, what the, the person you marry thinks. It could be that you have a best friend, your best buddy, who's your best bud, and you love to go out and do things together, and you're still trying to live the single life even though you're married. Remember, leave. When you leave, you're leaving not only your household, you're leaving singleness. And you cannot bring singleness into a marriage. Because you're one, you're united together. And you've made a covenant relationship that this person would meet your deepest needs. Now I'm not saying by that, and God doesn't say, you can't have friends outside your marriage. You need friendship. You need female companionship, male companionship. Men stick with men. Girls stick with girls. You shouldn't be going out with a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex in an intimate setting. That's going to cause legitimate jealousy in your spouse, and they're going to feel threatened by that. you got to guard those relationships. As I said earlier, your children don't come first. The marriage comes first. The marriage comes first. The marriage comes first over your pets. Over, over your family members, over your friends, over your church friends. The marriage comes first. And that's why it's important for us to prioritize our relationships in such a way that it keeps your spouse number two. Amen? Number th- Here's some practical tips, by the way. And I listed these all in your notes today. I'm not going to go through all these. But they're all listed there for you in your notes. If you haven't picked up the notes, they're all there. So take them home. These are some great things to do. A weekly date night, praying together, going to church together, talk, uh, take walks together, t- um, taking short overnight weekend trips together. Those are all things. On the second page, I want you to notice this one. Going to a marriage conference. If you did not notice, we have put aside... We have in the budget $30,000 to give away as scholarships to married couples in our church. 
We are actually prioritizing marriage at such a high level here that we want to encourage you to go to a weekend marriage conference with your spouse. And if you need it, we'll give you a $500 scholarship to go. Now, we've priced it out. We've got three conferences that are coming up this spring going into early summer. They're called Weekend to Remember Family Marriage Conferences. They happen on a Friday night all the way through a Sunday. They go to a hotel. This includes your hotel, the conference, all of the travel down there, and probably the meals will cost you about $650. We're offering a scholarship of 500 of that. So for $150, you can go to a marriage conference that you can invest in you for an entire weekend. Leave the kids at home, leave the dogs at home, leave the cats at home, and get away with your spouse to a wonderful time where you get some great teaching, some great times of having communication with each other, prayer together, and then you leave even on Saturday night have a special date together, a romantic date together. You'll get to worship together on Sunday morning, and you'll get to get home by late Sunday afternoon, and your marriage will be refreshed. You might even have sex that weekend. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? All the men in the room say aye. Well, there's a few of you. But connection, amen? Third area, romance. Some of you hate this word. (laughs) Some of you hate it because you don't know what it is. And it's been elusive to you for many, many years. You've made it into what Hollywood has made romance into and not what it really is. What is romance? Romance is nothing more than focused attention, actions, and special moments upon your spouse's needs. You can have romance at McDonald's. Did you know that? You don't have to spend a lot of money You don't have to do a lot of great things. All you need to do is give undivided, focused attention to the person that you made a vow to, that you are married to, that is your number two priority in your life. That's all you need to do. And guess what? If you will give focused attention and actions and and maybe even plan some special moments, just maybe you'll sense the fire in your soul again. Just maybe there might be a connection that will burn up and begin to kindle in your heart. And you'll begin to look in her eyes and she'll look in your eyes and you'll say, Honey, I love you. I love you. I'm so glad that we are doing life together. Amen? In the book of Revelation, God actually condemns a church that had lost its first love. And in that condemnation, he said these words, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. 
What happened to that couple that loved to spend time together? What happened to the joy of that couple when you were dating together and you opened the door and you bought the flowers and you, and you, and you went on those dates together and you, could, you spent hours and hours talking on the phone together and you just couldn't get enough of each other? What happened after you got married? Everything else took a priority. That's what happened. And you didn't do the things you did then. Wasn't some magical thing that happened. You didn't have focused attention on each other. You didn't prioritize each other. And he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent. You know what repent means? It means to stop doing one thing and turn around and do the right thing. Go back and do what you used to do, he says. And do the things you did at first. And that goes back to that list. Now, in your notes, I gave you a third page, okay? A third page that describes the top four needs of a woman and the top four needs of a man. They are different. If your wife, go look at the needs of your, of your husband and ask yourself, Am I putting focused attention and actions and creating special moments to meet his needs? If you're a husband, are you taking special attention and special actions and planning special moments to focus on her needs, not your needs? And by doing that, you will create special moments of romance, of connection that will keep the fire burning long into your heart. I conclude today by telling you about a couple that still rings in my mind as a couple in their old age who loved each other with romantic love. Their names were... Ralph and Ruth Parsons. They were an old couple in our church, my very first church when Jane and I were just married, before we had kids. Ralph actually helped, and Ruth helped uh, Jane and I move into our very first parsonage and our very first senior pastor position. And wherever you found Ralph, you found Ruth. And wherever you found Ruth, you found Ralph. They were a love relationship with each other that was full of joy. The way they talked to each other, the way they served together, the way they, they treated each other, the way he, he, he cared for her and protected her and guided her and blessed her and prayed for her. I was like, I want a marriage like Ralph and Ruth. And maybe there are some marriages in this church that you say, I want a marriage like that one where the fire continues to burn even into old age. I've always said this, and I believe it with all my heart. Young love is awesome, but old love is even better. It's more mature, it's wiser, it's deeper, it's fuller, it's greater. And if you will allow that marriage and that relationship to be our priority, God first, your spouse second, 
and make it a priority to communicate, make it a priority in real relationships, make it a priority in your practical, everyday way of living, and your priority in your romance, your relationship will continue to grow instead of dying. God doesn't want any relationship to die. And some of you, it's been dying for years, but it's not too late. Amen? So my prayer is that this month we'll see a revival of romance and love and marriages in our church. Amen? Take us up on that $500 gift, especially if your marriage really needs it. Get away for the sole purpose of your wedding and your marriage and your vows and your commitment. Too many people get away, but they don't spend any time with each other. They just do a lot of great things. And they come back and they still hate each other. That's wonderful. Oh, God help us. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, would you? We're going to sing a song. Then I'm going to share some announcements with you. Then we're going to go home. Father, thank you so much for your grace, your love, and for the holy bond of marriage. I pray, oh, Lord, that you will help each and every person in this room to renew their vows to each other, to renew their vow to you, to dedicate themselves to being a man or woman of God first and foremost, and secondly, to being a dedicated, loving husband and wife towards one another. Lord, revive us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.